You're listening to DraftKings Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Too Many Men podcast. We are without our wonderful host, Allison Lucan, today because she has some bigger fish to fry in Seattle, but we will have a special treat from her at the end of the episode. Shana, how are you? I'm good. We're going to power through without our trusty leader who keeps mm-hmm. us on track. Like, this will be an adventure, right? It's always difficult, but guess what? It can be unhinged and fun, and we love unhinged and fun, especially during this round of the playoffs with more goals and lopsided games than ever. But we'll get into that. First of all, let's do my favorite segment. I'm I'm alley-ooping to myself right now. Bit O News. It's official. The 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs mark just the sixth time in 36 years, there will not be any best of seven sweeps through the first two rounds. Shayna, thoughts? That's fine, except I hate this round. And if round two wants to end like tomorrow, I won't be upset. It is legitimately the worst round that we've seen in a minute. Everything's blowouts back and forth. Nothing's fun and exciting. The only good series is the one that potentially could have been a sweep. But like in round one, I'm thrilled that there are no sweeps. So it's just kind of interesting how you don't know who is going to show up when. Like, the lopsided games go from, like, okay, the Devils are going to score eight goals, and then the Hurricanes are going to score six goals, and it's going to be Jordan Martinuk. Like, I, it's just, we'll get into that, of course, but I just think, what do you think this says about where we're at right now in hockey? I feel like the league's going to be like, look, look at the parody, look at everything <laughs> we've done, and they're going to find a way to pat themselves on the back for this, because it feels like every time that there's, like, anything, they find a way to, like, like the NHL is the Maple Leafs in a way because they make everything about how does the NHL no sweeps affect the Maple Leafs? Well, two ways. One, the Maple Leafs didn't get swept. And two, the NHL makes everything about them that they're like, look, look at what we've done. We've built a league with so much parity. So I think that's what we're going to hear. But like, I don't know. I, I think it does say like the competitiveness of the games and all that kind of stuff. You can definitely go with that. But like we still had a game that went to five and the standings are still funky and the playoff format's still wrong. But, you know. Yeah, I kind of, I go both ways with this, where, like, I kind of am excited every night to see what's going to happen because we literally do not know what's going to happen. But at the same time, as especially someone like you who does a lot of analysis, it's hard to get a grip on what is going on. I guess you just have to go back to the five-on-five play and just go from there. But it's just kind of crazy that there's no, like, pre-writing anything. I don't know. I'm, like, thinking about Hurricanes Eastern Conference Final, that game's tonight, that they could clinch. And I'm like... Literally, I won't even start writing about anything because you don't know what's going to happen. And it feels like no teams are dead just yet. But we'll get into all of that. Let's first talk, before we get into hockey, about the draft lottery, shall we? (laughs) Yeah, please. Our favorite thing, the draft lottery. So not much went right um, on 
the broadcast. First of all, there was a little blunder where they announced that the Columbus Blue Jackets had dropped to number three and they didn't pull up the card and then it just went to commercial break. And we have yet to get kind of an explanation for that. I guess it was just a little mistake, but it was just no offense to Bill Daly. I don't know about you guys, but that was just a very anticlimactic broadcast. And he had the Ducks sign up upside down. It was just all a little bit Bush League to me. What did you think? No, it really did feel it was very bland. It's very on par with the NHL compared to like other major leagues. Like it felt very Bush League. It felt very bland. Like, first of all, show us the lottery balls. That's what we're all here for. Who among us doesn't like watching a lottery drawing? Two, if Bill Daly's going to do it, you need to have a fun spin on it. I don't know if they necessarily need like celebrities for it, but like, I don't know. What about like having a former first overall pick like assist? That might not have personality either, but like figure out something. And it just felt awkward. Like, was that recorded? And then it was a voiceover by Kevin Weeks on top of it. Or was that live? And then it was like simulcast. But then how do you have the blunder? It's just like, it's just really not ideal. I don't know. I think everything about it felt really forced and boring and dragged out. And it's something that should be like quick and exciting. And every year I'm like, do I have to sit here and watch it? Like, I don't know. I feel like that's the complete opposite of what the league should want. Yeah, it's like if they want to hype it up that much and make it into this thing, then they have to make it into a thing. Yeah. And we didn't even get into what actually happened yet. Chicago jumped from what? They jumped from three to one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they jumped from three to one. Yeah, Anaheim went to two and Columbus should have been two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they jumped up to get the first overall and it's going to be Connor fucking Bedard. So that's kind of a big deal. And it's the first time... They've had a first overall pick since they jumped up from five to one in 2007 with Patrick Kane. So there's a lot to unpack here. Shall we begin? Yeah. So, okay. I don't, I I don't love the conspiracy theory. The league is rigged for Chicago crap. I really don't buy that. My issue with it is I don't think Chicago should have had a first overall pick to be in the draw. Um, And some are like, well, why would you drag it out this long? They So even though the investigation was going on, I think when they traded their first rounder to Columbus uh, for Seth Jones in that like big trade, like you couldn't suspend picks pending the results of the investigation. But this is the first available pick since. I don't think they should have been able to make it. I think it's a bad look for the league that they won, have a pick two, won the draft lottery because it kind of like amplifies the fact that they have the pick. Um, Does it help that he's going to a big market though in a way? Yeah, obviously better than Columbus and Anaheim for them, even though I think most of us would have preferred that. Um, But like, what do you think about that? Like, do you think they should have had the pick in the first place? I agree that they shouldn't have had the pick and they traded away their pick um, last year anyway. So they shouldn't have maybe I know they can't do that during an investigation, but it's like, okay, so they didn't even take that pick. So, yeah, just suspend this pick. And especially when it's Connor Bedard, I know it shouldn't be off a principle like that, but it just stings a little bit more because they're getting rewarded. And I saw reports about the millions of dollars in um, ticket sales they've already made since in the hours after making the first overall pick. And it was just more than beach one in the settlement. It's just very more than what the NHL taxed them. He not taxed, but like punished them for to the 2 million. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's actually what I meant. Sorry. But that is just like, 
a slap in the face and all the takes about, yeah, it's good for the league. And I had a take like that too, because I mean, objectively the money, it's all about money. And it just is really sad that it is about money and we can't do better as a league. Um, I now think about GM Kyle Davidson. What is he going to do? He's going to have to start the rebuild quick because there's no doubt that Bedard's going to be the number one center and slot right in and be the best one since McDavid. I, I just wonder who is he going to build around him? There's basically no roster and there's what, $44 million in cap space. So figure that out right now. Who would you like to see him get? That's a good question. Cause like, I don't think that the returns on like past trades were as high. like, I think they got more for Kane than they were going to because of like the lack of leverage. And obviously they got nothing back for Taves, but it mm-hmm. goes back to like the Hagel trade and the doc trade. They could have, would have, should have done more. And I feel like that shows now because they should have like a little bit more of a prospect pool that's like a little more intriguing. But this is like the hardest part of it, right? Because you could go the route like when the Sabres got Eichel, they tried to speed up the rebuild by signing like players like Akposo and Molson to those huge contracts because they didn't, there wasn't elite talent to sign. So they gave it to them. And I think that's super helpful to have like veterans and things like that on your team. But it feels like you can try to accelerate it too much. And then you're in a shitty situation because you gave money to players who don't deserve it because you just tried mm-hmm. to force it. Or you throw yourself into a situation like the Rangers, honestly, where you speed up the rebuild and then development kind of goes to the side, which it shouldn't. And then your window's short. So I don't know how they manage this. I feel like they, they need to figure out a way to bring in some like young game breakers. And it's about like their drafting, developing and player acquisition, like outside of the draft. Like there's still everything to do. I know. I think obviously Davidson was gifted this, but now it's a double-edged sword because all eyes are going to be on him and he he does less time than he would have. And there's going to be so much speculation on it. So it'll say a lot about him and his young career, what he decides to do next from this. Yeah, 100%. And also, I feel like we can't forget to, like when we look at rebuilding teams and like what they're composed of, a lot of times it's more than one top five pick. So Mm -hmm. this is Chicago's first overall pick. If they our shitty team next year, which is fair to assume they might be like, they might still get another top five pick. And that's par for the course for the rebuild and not, well, Bedard didn't have a game breaking season. First of all, if he doesn't have a game breaking season, it's probably because he has no one around him, but exactly, just like, don't forget that they might still get another one or two top five picks in this before they start turning it around. Yeah. Yeah. And one more bit of news. And it's a very, very sad one that we hate. Gabriel Landeskog is going to miss all of next year after missing most of this year with he was going to undergo a cartilage transplant in his knee, which sounds absolutely brutal. I know Mark Methot tweeted that that's what happened in his career. He got that surgery and then he was never the same. So it's just absolutely heartbreaking for the abs and their captain. And he's a great, such an important voice in that leader in leadership role in that room. And I mean, it's a huge reason they didn't end up advancing past the first round is that he wasn't available. He was still around the room, but it's just not the same. Shana, do you think he's going to be able to come back? Do you think he's going to try? What is this? How does this affect the abs? <laughs> I think, I hope he's able to come back from this, like missing two years. And it kind of shows too, like you played through an injury and you don't know the damage it did because this was something he suffered in the playoffs against the stars. And I think he played a full year. And now we're seeing like all of this kind of bounce back, which is like really unfortunate. I hope, I do hope he can return. But I think the only, I don't want to say plus side, but the only thing that does help the abs in a sense versus this year is the certainty that he's not going to be back. Because like last year, 
this past year, they knew they weren't getting a Kadri replacement. And they were like, it's fine because Landis Cog should return. And then him with one of like Lekkanen or Nuchushkin. And then the other line could have the other disruptor plus Rantanen. Like your top six center uh, winger depth was so fine that you didn't need to worry about center depth. And at the deadline, I think they still thought he was coming back. So they didn't make a move because they're like, well, when he returns, he's in. We don't need to like long-term IR him in anymore. Like things like that. Like you, you act differently. And I wonder if they would have been more aggressive had they known. So now like they know for a fact they either need to add another top six winger to balance out their center depth or legitimately find a center to balance it out. Like having that certainty doesn't hurt them is the only bright side. It, it helps their plans that now they know. That's actually a really good point because obviously they couldn't do anything last year when he went down. So now it's like, okay, well, now we know he's not going to be back. So what are you going to do to fill that hole, even though it's just brutal with his leadership and you could tell that he has that voice. So I don't know. I wish he the best. And I really hope as if he's listening to this podcast, I really hope he comes always friend of the pod, Gabe. I hope you Dale's going to tell him to listen. Yes, yes, yes. All right. One more piece of bad news. And it's been a while since we've had the shit list, but we are bringing it back for ESPN's John Anderson. Who, during the Vegas Edmonton Highlight on Sports Center, made a joke about Zach Whitecloud's name, saying it's a great name if you're a toilet paper. White Cloud is the first indigenous NHL player from the Sioux Valley Dakota Nation. And it's just... John, there's a follow-up where John said, this is totally on me, and I sincerely apologize to Zach, the Golden Knights, their fans, and everyone else for what I said. And White Cloud accepted his apology, but I just think there's such an onus on minority players in the NHL to accept these apologies and to just roll with the punches when, first of all, it's not funny. Names about Jokes about people's names are not funny, no matter who they are. And I think we can retire those. I don't know, Shane, yeah. what were your thoughts on this? No, yeah, you definitely can retire those. It just was like, it was it was stupid to say. Like, I feel like if you have a platform like ESPN, like, yeah. use it properly and you can try to have fun, but like, don't be insulting or offensive to anyone. I think the part of it that I liked too was that the player, the person that took issue with it was White Cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of the time it's like, there's a media uproar and then everyone like jumps in and then the player has to deal with it. I like that he was just like, yeah. it was kind of like, a calmer situation where he just like spoke about it, explained himself. He was really well-spoken. I liked everything he said. He explained why his name was important, uh, stuff about his culture. And I think we could learn something from it versus just like, sometimes the reactions are just like so wild and it blows up a situation. I just like how he handled himself. And again, he shouldn't be the one that has to accept the apology and has to handle the situation with class and grace and all that. He doesn't have to, he can be outraged if he wants to, um, and it's not that, oh, this shows character. It's just, it shows maturity that clearly others don't have. Yes. And I loved that he used it as a teaching moment, even though he didn't have to. And it just sucks that he's here. And he said himself, I don't want to be standing here in front of you all. But I, yeah. the fact that instead of brushing it off, it did deeply affect him. And that's okay because it's his name. And what is, a name means so much in Native American or First Nations heritage, whatever, all of the, First Nations, it does mean a lot. And he taught us something about it today and or today, I don't know, when he did the press conference, I just it clearly affected him and the way he was able to convey how it affected him and what 
his name means was just really, really great. And I just think John Anderson is just another example of, okay, you have to be prepared if you are a broadcaster. And it's just, I know everybody makes fun of ESPN for not knowing hockey, but it was just another instance of you don't care about hockey if you don't respect kind of the First Nations and Native American culture that is prominent around the league. Yeah, it's just like, it's professionalism, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have to toe that line of knowing how to be funny, how to this, how to that. And like, it just felt like an example of not knowing that at all. And I don't know, like, we always talk like, oh, it's privileged being this league. Oh, it's a privilege to be in any position. And I think that we all have to kind of like do the right thing to maintain our positions. And if you make a mistake, it's how you bounce back from it, right? Like it's how you learn from it. So hopefully he takes something from this and just doesn't make some like assholeish remark to a player like he doesn't know anything about. He just heard his mm-hmm. name and responded that way. 100%. All right. I think it's finally time to talk about one of the most monumental how does this affect the Leafs of all time? Oh, my God. They're alive. <laughs> they have not died yet, baby. The I like think yet. Yeah. We're not finished yet. <laughs> you know what? I don't think there's any way they really come back from this series, but it's no. time to get into this. They are not dead. They, they went up. They have a one win. One win. Yes. They. Okay. Can you explain this? Because I literally I can't speak. No. Okay. No, uh, so they were down 3 nothing to the comeback Cats, who everyone counted out, and they clawed their way back into round one, and here they are. The fans manifested Florida. Yes, there were some who chanted, we want Boston, but we all heard it. Everyone wanted Florida. Toronto got them and went down 3 nothing in the series. Um, game one was definitively Panthers all the way. Game two, the Leafs were the better team at times, and the Panthers won. Game three, they tinkered a bit, and it bit them. And now the Panthers took a 3-0 lead heading back to game four in Florida. And Toronto won 2-1 game. Uh, not the most impressive Leafs performance to me. I think it was okay. I think they had a shitty first period and then found their footing in the second and third. It was not game-breaking by any means. But we saw appearances on the score sheet finally from guys like Nylander and Marner, which was so important. And now the series goes back to Toronto. And like there's some intrigue there. Like, Can they extend the series are they, you know, is they're not going to be last year's Panthers, it seems. So what do you think of their chances now? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm kind of <laughs> beliefing again <laughs> against all. Oh, here we go, here we go. It brings me no pleasure to report that I'm starting to belief. I don't think there's any way they come back. But I do want to say, obviously, Mitch Marner with the goal and assist is huge because the core four and everybody has been shut off from the score sheet. I think. Also, these games are getting closer and closer. This is the third straight game in the series decided by one goal. Um, And now that the stars have shown up, maybe that makes it even scarier for the Panthers. Um, Joseph Wall made 24 saves in his first career playoff start, which pretty convincing. It wasn't the best goalie performance I've ever seen in my life, but it wasn't the worst. And I think they need it wasn't the worst with uh, a confusing situation in net with them right now. I think... They're going to win at least one more. Maybe they're going to lose in seven. I Ooh. Do you think the juice is done with the Panthers? No, I think the, I think the Panthers still have it. And I'm going to, I'm really curious about what Bobrovsky does from here because mm-hmm. the workload is starting to add up for him. So let's see how he responds. Cause like we've seen it before where he plays the string of games and starts to 
you know, decline, but he did have a big break before this when he was sick and they still have Alex Lyon. And if Alex Lyon came in and made this series, like I think Leafs fans would implode. So I think that would be really funny, but yeah, like you said, like Wool was good. He was not game breaking, but he had a quality start. That's something like two quality starts from two goalies. And it was all about what happened in front of the net for the most part. So I think that's important, you know, for both sides here. I am a little bit curious about what happens with Nyes because he might be able to come back. We don't know for sure, but there's a chance he comes back. And it reminds me of Bunting returning from his suspension. They chose not to play him because they won and they didn't want to tinker the lineup. But they had a chance. Like, they knew if they didn't put him in and it burned them, they had another game. They don't Mm now. Mm -hmm. And so if he were to return, it's probably on Ryan O'Reilly's line. And that line last night, it was um, Achari... O'Reilly and Bunting and they got their S hint to them by the Kachuk line. Mm-hmm. They're lucky the score didn't reflect it as much, but like below the surface, the shots, scoring chances, everything like it really wasn't good. So if you could put Nyes back on that line, they weren't perfect defensively with him, but him and O'Reilly were like really excellent offensively. So you get that scoring depth. I think that they clearly need. And if they can contain the Kachuk line a little bit better when they have home ice advantage, like that's going to help them. And that's the hard part because like in game one they went with Marner there and it just like swallowed Marner's minutes up because he didn't he couldn't create anything he was playing defense the whole time so I wonder what they do there what do you think um I agree with you. I think the matchup game is huge here of course we always talk about that but I agree it's with the Kachuk line it's really everything but I am just curious to see the Panthers response because they haven't really in this round have had to deal with adversity. So I guess, okay, what are you going to do when the other team actually wins a game? And there's just so much noise around this series that I, I think it will say a lot about how does, how do the Leafs affect the Panthers? I think it will say a lot about this team and their Stanley cup hopes if they have a big comeback in the next game Friday. So we'll take a look for that now around to the West Edmonton, and Vegas are tied up and the streets are saying, I just saw an article that said the um, Oilers are now the cup favorite, which I disagree. They literally tied up a series grow up. It's just that they're Canadian and they're not losing. I think this has been an insane, we talked about lopsided, uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor, Connor McDavid continued their high scoring ways to help Edmonton even the series. The duo currently sits first and second at points in the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs and became just the fourth pair of teammates since 1990 to hit the 50 point mark across two postseasons. Evan That's Bouchard crazy. improved his power play totals in the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs to four goals, nine assists, and 13 points, tied for seventh most by a defenseman in a single postseason. Is Bouchard getting the McDavid effect where he gets to slot in on the power play with him? Is he his own beast or is it a secret third thing? Ooh, that's a good question. He, you know what? Like he had the power play to start the year and he lost it to Barry. And then when they traded Barry, I feel like everything changed for Bouchard because Mm -hmm. he has the confidence at even strength. I think Ekholm has balanced out his game so well. What a good addition because like everyone's forgotten how to play defense in Edmonton except for Ekholm at times this postseason. But I think having the even strength confidence and the power play scoring, getting that opportunity with his game being a little bit more stable has been like really great for him. And he has a great shot, like from the point that is a bomb that he has. So it's nice to see them getting production from like all different members of that power play unit and it not only going through McDavid and Dreisaitl, even though like it primarily does. 
What are your thoughts on Evander Kane being a fucking idiot? I'm over Evander Kane. I, you know what? The if he could score some points and was doing mm-hmm. this would be one thing, but he hasn't impressed me on the score sheet. And like, so they split up Drysidle and McDavid last night, which was like the best thing they could do. And the Drysidle line went up against Shea Theodore, and Shea Theodore did a pretty good job um, containing them, like that Vegas unit. And then McDavid was with. Hyman and Eugene Hopkins, I think it was, and they crushed mm-hmm. their minutes and it was mm-hmm. against Petrangelo. Kane was with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto, I think it was. Um, so it's kind of funny too, because like here it is, Kane was on the stock top line and he was the passenger and now he's just on Dreisaitl's line. He's still the passenger. So not ideal, but you could just see the frustration in his game. Like two nights, two games ago, you saw it again last game. He was so undisciplined and then in last night's game, that hit to Petrangelo, which kind of started everything. I think he deserved a penalty, even if just to keep the game settled, because when it didn't get settled, we saw that slash from Petrangelo, which he has a hearing for. It just feels like when scoring and things don't go his way, he gets undisciplined. And there's a difference between bringing an edge to the series, like someone like Matthew Kachuk does, right? And he really does walk the line well, and just being an asshole because you're not producing. And it feels like that's what he's doing. I know. I think it's kind of, it's one of those things where call me when this series ends so I can see maybe he's giving his team some juice, but I kind of doubt it. I think they'd appreciate him more on the score sheet because he, when he's on, he's on with the goal scoring and he's been off and he's lashing out. But speaking of the Petrangelo hearing incoming, do you think he's going to get a game? I know McDavid called him out and said, what did he say? Something like this league is a joke if he doesn't get a game. Yeah. So yeah. good for Connor McDavid. Good like for using McDavid, his voice. Our friend. I know. Friend of the pod. What do you think about that slash? Yeah, that was uncalled for. I understand him being upset that there wasn't a call on Kane, especially given everything that's gone on this series. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't you don't need to do that. There's no way, shape, or form you're doing anything besides being malicious to poor Leon. What did he do to you besides being really good? Like you're not even doing it back to Kane, which would carry more malice if it was back to Kane because it's more reactionary. But like you go out of your way. It's not a small slash. You literally bring your stick up and over. It's completely intentional. hundred percent deserves a suspension. Um, if if you did this like in the beginning of the game, he probably would have gotten the game tossed from the game and then who knows what suspension would have come it was at the end of the game your team is behind you're frustrated like that's the thing all the like undisciplined plays we're seeing in this series it really feels like it's coming at the end of the game when the score is out of reach because there's so many blowouts and i think that adds to it you're not trying to light up your team and get them going you're doing it because you're pissed off you're doing it because you're reactionary and that i think has to go into it i'd be truly shocked if he doesn't get a game i think he probably deserves two um, do you think the like status of his hearing is going to decide whether Kane keeps his automatic suspension from the instigator? Oh, no, I don't. I think it should be what it is regardless. What do you, I don't know. What do you think about that? I, that's such a unique situation. It feels like if we know the league the way we do, like it's going to be like a tit for tat thing. Like yes, we're exactly. going to uphold the suspension if, like if Petrangelo gets one or two games, I don't think anyone would have a problem being like, all right, well, Kane's keeping his suspension. And then it's like, look, we're not deciding things, but like one shouldn't have to do with the other. If they wanted to give him that like automatic penalty, like, was it that bad that he started a fight? No, but it's, this is the rule and it is reviewable afterwards. And that's not by player safety. So if like they decided, Hey, we're not going to do I like either way, I don't think the answer is wrong. But if you want to keep this series in line, which it's of all the round twos, you need to keep in line. It's probably this one. 
-hmm. like then that that's the move right just throw each of them out for a game try to balance the scales when it shouldn't be the case yeah you're so right that that's probably what's going to happen and it shouldn't be the case and it remains one of my biggest bones to pick with this league it's like do what you actually think not something to even it up but that's just like literally the existential question of the playoffs for the past five years with the way officiating is going so definitely keep an eye out for that because that's a unique situation and it will say it will set a precedent for the future situations like that i guess if they're ever to appear <laughs> yeah right i know now we're flying back to the east coast for Carolina, New Jersey, and the De the Devils are in a three one deficit, despite like all the game. <laughs> these games are drunk. These games are high, yeah. and you never know what to expect. They had an eight goal game, which the their their sole win, and then the Hurricanes followed it up with Jordan Martinuk flu game. Jordan Martinuk has had elite like a hold on the series i don't know what it is he has absolutely been on fire with multiple multi-point games including the most recent before well we're recording on thursday so tonight there will be a hurricanes game and we'll see if his hat trick comes up i don't want to jinx him but he has been a beast for i don't even want to begin to try to explain that but also this series is the first series in stanley cup playoff history to feature a starting goalie change in each of the first four games of the series. So Shana, I wanted to ask you what you think that says about the series. It's such a weird series. It's so <laughs> weird. Like, sure, the edge is that each team has goalie options, but this series, I hate it. I hate this series. I hate Why? <laughs> because I, I want close games. I'm not entertained. I'm not enjoying myself. I feel like I have a harder time staying engaged in these blowouts. Like, I want... I want to know. I want to see Forecheck versus Rush. I want close, tight games battling it out. But I guess with this one, at least, it was interesting that it was close after the first. And then, like, the Devils looked kind of dominant to start. And I'm like, okay, here we go. They're going to tie the series. It's going to be the same as round one. I do like there was, like, a change in, like, the script there. Um, but, like, with the second period blowing up like that, you had to change goalies. And it's it's so interesting because you have Ronta was out sick. Kochekov's joined the conversation at times because <laughs> Freddie Anderson had such a bad game three. And then on the flip side, you have Akira Schmidt who's brought into round one because he's so good against tips and deflections, which you would think would work well against the Canes. That's how they score a ton of goals and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So you have Vanacek come back in, have a an okay game three. He won, but he didn't even, there's been zero quality starts on for the Devils in this series. And now you have more chaos, like, I don't know if Vanacek's just bad in the playoffs because what we know of him in a limited sample is bad through two years. I don't know if it's just the workload. He wasn't used to it this year and that's it. There was no coming back when he started to trend down the regular season. Like I legitimately don't know the answer to it, but everything like it's, it's so if the five on five play was there for the devils, like it was in game three, they could make up for the below average goaltending and they can't the rest of like, they're not playing well enough to. I know. It's so true about the goalies, too. Like, Schmidt was having such a good first round, and now there's... But so he wasn't even tested as much. That yeah, was that's actually thing. so true. That's actually a good point. And now the Hurricanes and Jordan Martinook are here to test him. Yeah. I think Freddie Anderson might be emerging as Carolina number one after a strong performance. But, like, who the fuck knows? Because they'll probably get blown out tonight. Like, you literally don't know in this series. And I know you don't love that. For some reason, I'm loving it. I think it's just like, maybe it's my ADHD brain. It's kind of like, oh, another goal, another goal, another goal. But I don't know. We'll have to see what happens tonight. Um, do you think 
Hurricanes are going to close it out? I kind of do. Um, it feels like they don't want to repeat around one where it was like, here's their opportunity. They have the team on the ropes and they don't take advantage. And they have home ice tonight. And I think that's pretty huge for them because we've seen the Jordan Stall matchup game. If they can contain mm-hmm. Jack Hughes, that's a huge step. Even though like now Timo Meyer is going. So there's like another challenge you're going to have if you're the Devils who like have some own, their own lineup decisions to make and do they want to go 11-7 again? I just feel like the Canes forecheck and their the defensive system, the penalty kill, and the forecheck are just so dominant. Like mm-hmm. they're they're not just getting, and this is the thing, if they were just getting contributions from Aho at this point, right? Like their bit of star power, like it was Natchez and Aho, and they were the only ones clicking. I don't think I'd be as confident. They're they have combination, they have combinations, they have contributions from everyone. <laughs> Boss is scoring. Jordan Stahl's adding, you know, his spin to the series. Jordan Martinuk. I knew he was like good and chippy, but like the quality of the shots too mm-hmm. are not the goals that you expect from that kind of player, you know, like that grinding depth player. And he has like a great finish on these goals. Like the fact that it's coming from everywhere, I'm like, you know what? I feel like the Canes have this in the bag. I'm just happy Jordan Martinuk's dad, Mark, shout out Mark, is having a good time. He's wild <laughs> and they bring the the Alberta to the league and we love that. Okay. And headed back west, we just kind of said, fuck you guys, we're going to go all around the world and come back. Um, Seattle-Dallas is tied 2-2, headed into tonight. But Allison Lucan and guest star Piper Shaw will offer a preview and recap of that situation. So we're excited to look forward to hearing that. And we love them. Okay, friends. So we are reporting remotely uh, Shayna and Sarah are tying it down beautifully, crushing it. Um, but I'm here with amazing friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Piper Shaw. Piper, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little tired. How are you? <laughs> We're a little tired. We're we're joining remotely because it, it's a little chaotic um, going back and forth um, with one game every other day for the series. So again, Shayna and Sarah have been great, but they were kind enough to let us remote in mm-hmm. with a bit of a series update. It's so, an honor. <laughs> we're very tired. Yeah. So anyway, um, here we are, one of the two remaining Western series. As we record this, it's Wednesday and Toronto is playing, but no games have been decided. So we know that um, we don't know what happened in Edmonton, Vegas yet. Shana and Sarah will talk about that. But as far as Seattle and Dallas goes, mm-hmm. last night, which was Tuesday, mm-hmm. last night, which was Tuesday, was game four of the series and the Kraken were up 2-1. They had had a really strong performance on the score sheet beating Dallas in game three. But if you looked at a lot of the underlying numbers, Dallas was pretty strong. Jake Ottinger did get pulled, but he has been exceptional coming back after a loss. And he was. Mm -hmm. And the Dallas Stars basically come back. They have Joe Pavelski back on the top line where he had been. Um, Max Domi has a three-point night. Very controversial goaltender interference call. We'll talk about that. But Piper, tell me, what are your vibes about the series right now? Um, lots of layers mm-hmm. to it. I think something that we've Much talked like about. like a forecheck. Yes, like just like a forecheck. Just exactly. Like it, yes. uh, and an onion or whatever they say about layers, right? Yes. Onion peel or onion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, great. Um, I just think that the, the Kraken can win any game if they get 100%. to their game. That's been the narrative. That's what we've heard Coach Hack still talking about every day now in the players. It's just that if they can get to their game. Yep. And they can start strong, which that's basically when they win the games is when when they start strong or when they're able to find it right away. So I think going into this next game, it's 
almost pretty clear right away what kind of Kraken team you might be getting that yeah. night. I mean, yeah. not to say that things can't change, but I think that's, the, and they keep talking about it as well, the will to compete. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we saw as much of that will, as much of that intensity in yes. the last game as we did in the game before that they had that really decisive win. So Well, and Dave Hackstall said both after the game and then to, again today we talked to him was it was about they were a little slow getting to play and getting to battles. And what is weird to me about the series, and we asked Dave this, but if you're not watching these games, friends, watch these games because the score sheet is not so accurately reflecting what's happening in these games because the play underneath isn't really what the score is they're pretty tightly played games. Were you surprised that Jake Ottinger got pulled? And were you surprised that he played as well as he did in game four? I was not surprised that he played as well as he did in game four. I would mm-hmm. say maybe what we saw from him in game three was in more of an uncharacteristic night, but to the point that you just made as well, the Kraken scored some good goals. Yes. Like it's not like he was giving up really soft chances. They mm-hmm. just were the Kraken just were being really efficient yes. in their shooting. So it is what it is. Um, I was I, I'm not I wouldn't say I was surprised that they pulled him though, just because in I think in any kind of high pressure game that could happen, and it happened to Philip Grubauer exactly the last game as well for the Kraken. So I don't even know if it's yeah I, I wasn't surprised, but I also would not put a bunch of blame on Jake Ottinger for that third game. Just like I wouldn't really put a lot of the blame of the fourth game on Philip Grubauer. Absolutely. And so Jared McCann did come back. He had some shots. He looked fine for a first game after an upper body injury, after taking a big hit. We don't know where he will start tomorrow in game five. He did play on the fourth, the quote unquote fourth line for the Kraken. Um, But we don't know where he will play um, going into game five, but he has to shake some rust off. And I think if you come back from an injury, like what we think it might be, we don't know. It's going to take some time to recover from that. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's also what Jared said. You know, Jared was very candid. He said that he didn't feel amazing on his first shift. He Mm -hmm. just needed to shake the rust off, but he felt like by the end of the game, he'd gotten back to his game. But unfortunately for the team by that point, I mean, they had a strong third period, the Kraken did, but just kind of at that point, there wasn't much that he as an individual could have done. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they put him going forward, especially given the success that Ty Cartier has had with Maddie Beneers and Jordan. They all seem to click decently well. So we'll see. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll be covering game five for you tomorrow. The Piper and Allison experience continues. We did want to talk about one other thing that I know Shana and Sarah have already covered in bit O news. Um, and they've talked about it, I'm sure in uh, all the right ways, but we just wanted to touch on very quickly, the Kevin Weeks situation from the draft lottery. And, uh, first of all, it's very unfortunate. And again, I'm sure that Shane and Sarah have talked about this, that the Columbus order was picked. It was also devastating to the Columbus fan base. So that adds on top of it. But as far as we know, what we believe to be true is that Kevin Weeks basically spoiled the pick before it was revealed in terms of his tease going into break before the final three picks. Mm-hmm. And as of right now, nobody has made any comment acknowledging ownership of why that happened. Mm-hmm. And as people who are on TV, we stand in defense of Kevin Weeks, just so we're clear, because you have to understand, like, people are telling you what to say, and they can even be in your ear telling you what Literally. to say real time. And so this was not, as far as we know, and as far as we understand from our experience, this was not Kevin Weeks making a mistake. Someone made a mistake. And in my opinion, 
just like many other prominent people have had to do when they make a mistake. This is not the end of the world, people. We're not talking about saving lives. But can someone just own up to what the hell happened? Mm -hmm. And let's stop raking poor Kevin Weeks across the coals. A hundred percent. Also, like a show like the draft lottery is very different than like a game broadcast as an analyst where you're like calling things kind of on the fly. This obviously would have they would have had a rundown for this show, a structure. I'm sure he knew ahead of time where something was supposed to be. They probably had scripts written, put in a prompter, I would imagine. And a prompter in this situation is it's I can't say for sure, but I would imagine they have somebody operating the prompter for him rather than him operating it himself. Again, we don't know that. That's just what I would assume. So if somebody skipped ahead or if somebody said something in his ear, they they even could have been cueing him for something else or somebody else got messed up and said right. the move. Like And the timing of a live show like that too is can be chaotic depending Absolutely. on someone might talk for three minutes longer than they're supposed to. Next thing you know, you got to cut this or shift this. Like in live TV, it happens. And especially on a show like that, where it's not like it's the first time that these people have ever done one, but it's not like they do a draft lottery every week. Like they're not doing this kind of a show all the time. So it's a big, a lot of pressure, but also it's a unique situation that they were in. So yes, we are in defense of Kevin Weeks Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, someone should just say what happened. I feel okay, but just say what happened and like stop the shady shit and stop saying you're not saying shady shit when you are, but this stuff happens. And I think it's important to pull back the curtain and share why things happen because it's not that hard. Yeah. It's on just a teleprompter, there's yeah. like literally a button. I've operated teleprompters before, for people, but there's a button that says like, skip ahead. That is so easy yes. to accidentally push. Also, or the speed changes or something. Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes like a rundown, depending on what kind of software they're using, a TV rundown software can like move ahead itself throughout the progression of the show. Again, I don't know what kind of thing, because sometimes there's like auto cues for things to happen. So there's so much room for error that has nothing to do with Kevin Weeks just Yes. Like deciding to do this, yes. which I don't think he did. <laughs> I'm sure. And yeah. when I, I'm sure he feels horrible. Trust me, like yeah. you make one little tiny mistake that probably no one notices, or maybe sometimes people do and you think about it way more than you should. So yes, that's a big part of the Piper and Allison experience is like manifest, like mm-hmm. ruminating way too much on things. Yeah. Having, it, having to practice some self-forgiveness for a small small little slips on little okay well friends we're gonna go back we're gonna watch toronto um that's it for the series recaps i'm gonna throw it back to shana and sarah we miss you guys and i will be back next episode maybe we'll get piper back again sometime soon thank you for coming thank you for having me okay hello goodbye bye and until we talk again do something good to make sure hockey's for everyone we love you bye back to sharon saint sarah and shana back to sarah and shana she's the pro (laughs) bye guys Shall we do Fuck, Mary Gill? This is the Ted Lindsay Award for... The MVP as voted on by their peers, I think. Yes. The three finalists have been announced. Eric Carlson, Connor McDavid, and David Pasternak. Shayna, fuck, Mary kill. Okay, I'm going to... I'm going to kill Pasternak. It's just a process of elimination. We love him. I'm sorry. I don't mean to do this to you. I'm going to fuck... Connor McDavid because he like he's like the hot option right like he's like 
he is like you like if you're like looking across the bar and you're like that's the hottest guy in the room like that's that's the right <laughs> option that's the right pick do i want to commit to that no because i think it's like the boring option because he's been so amazing and he's going to win so many awards as it is and that's great and wonderful but like everybody knows he's the best so i'm not like jumping at the edge of my seat for that right now so mm-hmm. let's just leave that a fuck because i want to marry eric carlson the thing with carlson is like he had such an amazing season and there's been so much discourse about it because the award he's up for, the Norris, there's the conversation of should he be up for it based on what he brings defensively. And that's like a whole nother can of worms. But like, let's forget all of that. The most valuable person to his team is Eric Carlson. The difference when he's on the ice versus when he's on the bench is huge. He's been absolutely amazing. What he's done, I like that the players are like how the heart always has that conversation too. Should they be a playoff team? And there's always that discourse. And the players are like, we don't give a fuck. It doesn't matter. Literally. Like, it's fine. <laughs> so I like that they're kind of pushing back on that too. Like it doesn't, he was, he was a San Jose Sharks. He's the reason they were competitive. Even after Meyer left, they were like interesting and some, they weren't competitive, but you know what I mean? Like they were in some games because of him. Mm-hmm. He drove that team. It was so amazing. I feel like we have to appreciate that season. So I am all about that. I'll marry him. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll say I'm marrying Connor McDavid because he just had, he keeps outdoing himself and had another just unreal season. And I think as much as I don't want it, well, not really like I'm happy for him, whatever, but I want other stars to emerge. He's just leagues above everybody else. So I'm going to marry him. I'm going to fuck Eric Carlson because he was literally dragged his team through any win that they did end up winning. It was so fun to watch his resurgence. And it was hilarious that he was just kind of chilling. Like he didn't want to get traded. He was like, I'm just hanging out here. Like I'm making a lot of money. I'm living in California. I'm good. I'm all set over here. And I'm going to kill pasta. I mean, love him. But there were so many great players on that team that contributed to that historic season. And it's just like, the inverse of the Carlson situation where he was like the only good player on the team. Well, not really, but like the only one that was making an impact. So Pasternak, love ya, but we're going to kill you this one time. All right. That wraps up our podcast today. We hope it wasn't a complete disaster. We're nice girls. We try hard and we love the game and we hope you had fun with us today. Love you. Bye.